the corner. The Canucks did not like Glenn Anderson poking at the puck under the body of Kay Whitmore. They want blood here at the Pacific Coliseum. Ojack and Creighton. Ojack, one of the toughest in the NHL. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Avid Discussers podcast. I'm Joshua Ray, per usual. And joining me, as always, is Ty Party. And um, our special guest is the Alan Quinn assassin, former Canuck, fan favorite, Gino Ojek. Gino, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And thank you so much. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Anyway, uh, let's just jump into the questions. Ty, you want to start us off? So, Gino, uh, you were part of the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Algonquin Nation. Do you think you could talk a bit about your culture growing up and and what it means to you personally? Well, I mean, I grew up in a First Nations community called Nanawaki, two hours north of Ottawa. It was a very close-knit community. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, We stuck around together, and uh, we really enjoyed playing hockey in the wintertime and uh, softball in the summertime and going to powwows. Just getting to meet people was a big uh, part of uh, my life playing sports, and I really enjoyed going to the different First Nation communities and uh, meeting people from... uh, Throughout your career, you are actively a role model for Indigenous youth, focusing specifically on drug and alcohol issues. What made you get involved as a role model off the ice? and uh, we'll become partners and that's what happened. I really 
enjoyed working in the golf industry. I had 10 uh, teaching pros playing for me, working for me there, and we had a really good team. Kumi Kamara, who's our general manager, did a great job uh, holding everybody together, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It felt like it was part of a hockey team for the 10 years that I was there. You got a little handicap? <laughs> the lowest I got it was eight, I think. And there are a lot of discussion in the hockey community today surrounding Akeem Alou. How did you encounter racism during your career? Well, it wasn't too bad. I mean, when we were young, sometimes people uh, uh, taunted us when we we were going to different uh, uh, towns and that. But uh, I didn't encounter it too much, you know. Uh, I think when I played, once I got to junior, they, they were just worried about winning and putting the best players on the ice possible. Um, so uh, I was fortunate that I didn't encounter it too much. Uh, but uh, the toughest I've seen is when I played in horse fight. Um, my last year playing senior hockey, and it was really rough there in Alberta. Uh, they were taunting us and... Uh, you could just tell that they didn't like having a First Nation team in the league. Um, moving more to the hockey side of things, uh, you were 29 in your hockey career. Uh, is there anything special associated with that number? Yeah, my dad went to residential school in Kenora, Ontario, and uh, they didn't have a name at the time. They had a number, and his number was 29, so I wore 29 to honor my dad. Okay, um, what connected you so quickly with Pavel Burry when he was first drafted by the Canucks? Well, we were two young guys, and uh, my job was to protect uh, the players on our team, and he became one of our stars very quickly. Uh, we were both young, 20 years old at the time, single guys, uh, um, and I remember we were playing L.A., and somebody took a run at him and I went after the guy and ever, and ever since then we became best friends. He took care of me, helping me score goals and getting assists and I took care of him, giving him, uh, um, you know, space to play and make sure that nobody ran, ran him over. Is there a funny Powell story that, you know, the general public probably hasn't heard by now? Uh, well, we were playing Toronto one game and, uh, I was playing on Pavel's line, and we were playing against uh, Wendell Clark and uh, um, Doug Gilmore's line. So I had the bright idea that I was going to start hitting Gilmore to get him off his game. And uh, after the first period, Pavel tells me, hey, don't hit Gilmore anymore. I said, well, I'm getting him off his game. He goes, no, don't hit him anymore. I said, okay, you're the boss. So uh, I didn't hit him the rest of the game, and I didn't know why. I just forgot about it. And 25 years later, Wendell Clark's at a function and he's telling the story of um, he, were, he was playing Vancouver one night and uh, um, and I and Gene Odrick was running over Gilmore, Gilmore and um, Wendell told Pavel, if, if Gino runs over Gilmore one more time, I'm going to kick the shit out of you. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> And like, yeah, that did happen. So, uh, Pavel was pretty smart. <laughs> and, uh, 
We have to talk about the 1994 Canucks team. How is it to be part of such a run, and what was the atmosphere in the city like? Uh, it was unbelievable. I think uh, we were down 3-1 to Calgary in the first round, and we came back uh, and won it in, in seven games, and we just got on a run. Everybody on the team had career years, and uh, um, guys just played above their heads. It was just unbelievable. And the city just went crazy. Um, it was just unbelievable. The, we came back from a game at the airport. There's like 50,000 people at the airport waiting for us. It was just uh, incredible. I hope to uh, any players that plays for the Canucks to get that feeling. I hope that they go far this year and uh, get the city excited. It would be uh, it would be certain certainly something that the city deserves. And obviously, you know, as fans, we, we've seen uh, what kind of a close pack Ben was. Um, what kind of relationship did you have with him as a person? I had a great relationship with him. And what I liked about that is he told me right from the start, I don't want you as a tough guy sitting on the bench and just going out there where something happened. You have to be in great physical condition and you have to be ready to play. I want you to play at least 10 minutes tonight. And uh, you have to make sure that... Uh, you're, uh, you come in and are able to do that, and um, I really worked hard to become a player that could be counted on defensively and to create energy. And you know, it was fun with that. Anytime that you came to the game, you know, you had a chance to make a contribution. You get some coaches that play the tough guys two or three minutes a night, and uh, you have no chance to make any contribution other than fighting. Um, so I really respected that about Pat, where he gave us a chance to play and be part of the team. And uh, can you take us through that um, game in 1995, I believe, is where you um, tried to fight almost the entire players on the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, well, what happened was uh, a couple shifts before, um, Glenn Anderson speared Pavel in the eye and cut him got him open and, and I was on the ice and uh, there was a loose puck. Um, Kay Whitmore was in net and uh, Glenn Anderson speared Kay Whitmore in the hand so I figured there's my chance to get even with uh, Anderson for spearing battle and spearing Kay so I, I was trying to get Ken and, uh, Glenn Anderson and just what happened is that everybody else got in the way. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, um, what what did your teammates and what did Pat say to you after after that? I said good job. We were down eight seven or eight one in game six, and uh, I'd like to think that it made it gave us a spark. So we went to St. Louis for game seven, and we ended up winning the game. I got suspended for two games, but I just uh, let my teammates know that I was there for them, and if anybody hit them that I would protect them. Uh, moving a bit farther down the line, uh, you got traded to the Islanders a month after Trevor Linden. Um, was there any story behind that? Or? Well, I think, you know, we had Mike Keenan there and he came in and wanted to build a team his own way. And me and Mike Keenan had a different philosophy. I was used to it back when where you'd get 10 minutes of ice time per night and uh, 
Keenan wanted to play me two or three minutes. I didn't like that very much. I didn't feel that I was getting a chance to contribute. Uh, so I knew it was just a matter of time before I get traded, but Pavel told me that would be his last year in Vancouver and that he would get traded in the summertime. Um, so I was just trying to hang on to stay with Pavel till the summertime and then we, I would, I would wait, sit out with him to, to wait till we got traded and hopefully get traded together and, uh, that was the plan, but, uh, Keenan decided to, uh, to trade me, uh, before, <laughs> before I had a chance to ask for a trade. And, um, here's a question, um, you were one for one in the in penalty shots. Would you be good at the shootout? <laughs> uh, I don't think my hands are fast enough to to be good in the shootout nowadays. You look at them now; they're just professionals at it. These kids grew up doing it, uh, doing the shootout, and uh, they practice it every day. So it would be very hard for somebody like myself who didn't grow up doing a shootout and uh, just to go in there and try to to uh, try and score on these boys nowadays. If you look at uh, even NHL players that when they uh, they went to a shootout in '98, you could just tell the guys are are much slower than uh, than the European guys for say who grew up doing a shootout. It's uh, it's uh, something that you have to be specialized at. And you have to work on all the time. So uh, I was one for one, and I'd like to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> um, looking more on the tough guy side of it, um, who was the toughest fighter you ever fought, and the guy you were most surprised that you ended up fighting that you did think you'd fight? Um, the toughest guy I fought was Dave Brown. He, he played. He came from Philadelphia, but he got traded to the Oilers. He was a big guy, six foot six, and uh, he was a lefty, and he had a wicked hard punch. He was the toughest guy I ever fought, and uh, the guy I was most surprised to fight is uh, Thomas Steen in Winnipeg. He came after me one night, and I couldn't believe he was coming after me. Um, uh, what would your role be in the modern NHL as uh, the enforced role is? kind of dying out. Yeah, well, I think I'd have an advantage to be able to play because I always played 10 or 11 minutes a night during my career, and nowadays you have to you have to be able to play uh, 10 or 11 good minutes because they use four lines. Um, I think it'd be easier for me. There's no hooking. Uh, I found it very hard. You'd always get hooked, and then you'd have to stop and start over again. I think if you're able to freewheel out there and and skate, uh, it would make it that much easier. So I think I'd be able to have a role nowadays, certainly on the fourth line, you know, hitting guys and bringing energy and uh, being very good defensively and sticking up for your teammates. I think it'd be a lot easier for me now. I mean, the tough guys nowadays, they fight three, four times a year, and that's it. During my day, he'd fight 15 times a year. Um, so that's a big difference there. Uh, so it's a lot easier to be a tough guy nowadays than it was when, than when I played. In the 
and obviously something that's uh, you know near and dear to us all. Um, you, you can talk a little bit uh, about your health and, and your journey back to health because you know we all had a big scare there for a while. Yeah, I, uh, they were telling me to get my affairs in order and to uh, get ready for my demise. They, the, the doctors in Vancouver thought that I was gonna, I wasn't gonna recuperate, and that would be the end of the line for me. So. I asked them, can you transfer me to Ottawa so I can be closer to my family, my kids and my mom, everybody was there, my sisters and my cousins were all in Manawaki, which is uh, two hours north of uh, Ottawa. So um, I went to Ottawa and when I got there, to my surprise, the doctor says, I'm not just going to treat you to get to die, I'm going to treat you to get better. We have this experimental uh, drugs that... Uh, we want to try and we, we believe that it's going to help you. So um, we did it, we went through chemotherapy and everything and uh, next thing you know, a month later after getting to Ottawa, I was, were, I was sent home to, uh, that I just have to come back once a week to do my chemotherapy. I couldn't believe it, nobody could. And um, what went through your mind when you heard the crowd chanting your name for the very first time. That uh, was amazing. Uh, I, uh, I got called up against Chicago and uh, I knew I had to make a statement to stick around. The, the Vancouver Canucks hadn't played the night before in Calgary and they got pushed around by the Flames. And Calgary, I mean, uh, Chicago was coached by Mike Keenan. So anytime he has a team, you know that they're a rough and tumble team. And... Uh, my first shift, I went out and bought uh, Dave Manson, and uh, we didn't really get going. And then uh, in the third period, I hit one of their players, and Stu Vincent came after me, and me and Stu got going really good and had a really good fight. Um, probably the hardest to ever hit anybody, and he buckled a little bit, but he didn't go down, the bugger. Um, so uh, the band started cheering my name, and that was awesome. Uh, and it just stuck ever since that time. And uh, we got a question from Twitter. Um, this um, user named Davy Boy Six Hundred Four asks, "Who made your custom leather helmet straps?" Uh, Patty O'Neill was the trainer. Because what happens with the plastic ones when it gets pulled over your ears, it it rips your ears apart and. Uh, and it was me three years very sore, so he got someone, I don't know who he got to do it, but they got him to do letter straps, so whenever the helmet was pulled over and the tongue that you wouldn't uh, cut your ears and stuff, so I don't remember who did him, but I know Pat, Patty O'Neill was the one who had the idea to get them made like that. Uh, Malcolm also asks, any stories, party stories, uh, with Burry, do you like to share? Any what? Any party stories with Pavel Burry that you'd uh, like to share? <laughs> we had a few parties. We went down to Roxy at the end of every year, and uh, we had a good time there. It was, it was amazing. Um, when I played, the Roxy was a big spot in Vancouver, and a lot of the players went there, the opposing team, and uh, once in a while, the Vancouver team. Uh, but we really had a lot of good times there. All right, um, the Roxy's... I, gotta, I gotta ask you this. This one's from my dad, and he's gonna hate that I'm asking it. 
Well, what's the equivalent of the Roxy on the road? What's that? What's the what's the equivalent of the Roxy when you're on the road? There's no there's no equivalent. The, the Forum Club in LA was really good when they were playing at the old rink. Uh, they they had a bar there right inside the the arena, and uh, everybody went there. The models, the actors. Um, um, so we couldn't wait to get a, get through with the game, and everybody would go up to the bar and have a few drinks and mingle with the people. It was really un, unbelievable there in LA at the Forum Club. All right. Um, so uh, that's all the time we have for you, Gino. Uh, once again, right. thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Good job. Oh, yes. Thank you, Gino. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast with Gino Logic, and we hope you enjoyed it. And feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and a rating and give us feedback, positive or negative, or constructive, and give us feedback on Twitter, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at AvidDiscussers, you can follow me on Twitter, at JarJarRay91, Ty is at TeaParty21, and uh, those are the same handles for Instagram as well, you can also find us on Facebook, at AvidDiscussers Podcast, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this special episode, And um, we can't wait to put it out there. And we will see you next week.